Saw, dude. You're about to hear a sermon from Han Vision, bruh. Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, delivered by Joe Song from our study on the gospel according to Matthew. Thanks for listening to Han Vision. If you could turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 26. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 to 26. I, I listened to one of our podcasts of when Pastor Daniel came to speak, and uh, he, he said this little phrase that stuck with me. He said, it's called a passage because you're, you're supposed to walk through it, right? And I was like, whoa, that's amazing. I didn't know that. And so that's all I remember from that message. But uh, it was really good. So thank you. Thanks, Dan. Uh, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to, we're going to walk through this passage today. Um, and so let's read it first and then we'll kind of, uh, we'll walk through it together. And so this is right after Jesus, uh, is done being questioned about fasting. He just said, it's not a time to fast. It's a time to celebrate. And while he was saying in verse 18, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came and knelt before him saying, my daughter had just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him and with his disciples and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. And he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all of that district. Amen. This is a... This is a crazy passage. Like this is, I don't know. It, it almost feels like the whole thing should be like in bold or something. It's so crazy what just happened here. Um, so let's, let's, let's walk through this real quick. So while Jesus was saying these things to them, so that brings us that first verse. While Jesus was saying these things, what things was Jesus saying? Jesus was just in the middle of telling John's disciples who came up and asked him, do you guys remember last week where John's disciples came and said, Jesus, why don't you guys fast like the Pharisees? And we do. We fast twice a week. We are always fasting because we are mourning. We are sad. We are mourning the, the sins of Israel and we are mourning and waiting for the Messiah, for God to come and save his people. So we are mourning and fasting. We fast twice a week. We starve ourselves. We deprive ourselves. We make ourselves suffer because we should be suffering. We should be mourning because we are sinful and we are in God's presence has have left us. So Jesus, why aren't you and your disciples also fasting and mourning for the sins of Israel? Right? Do you guys remember that? And Jesus said, it's not a time to fast. It's time to celebrate because it's like a wedding feast. The wedding, the bridegroom is here and it's time not to mourn, but to celebrate. 
The time of mourning is not now. And as if like, like the world were challenging Jesus, someone comes up. Like, because the thing is, we as Christians, with Jesus in our lives, we are not supposed to mourn, live in a state of mourning, but we're supposed to be living in a state of celebration. But then what if life doesn't feel like a time of celebration? As if to answer that question, a ruler comes up, kneels before Jesus, who's in a state of real mourning. His daughter has just died. Now, I don't know about you, but like, I have a daughter. When I hear that phrase, it like hits me in a deeper way, <laughs> right? Like I, I try to think about like what would I, how would I feel if my daughter had died? Like, I, I can't even imagine. It says, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him. He's just described to us as a ruler. Okay. When you, when someone describes you to somebody, how did they describe you? They're like, hello, this is Jay, the ruler. <laughs> no, right. They don't say that. It's just Jay. He's my friend or whatever, you know, he's the, that, that Korean guy, you know, or what something, you know, but you don't, when you, someone describes you as a ruler, that means you are someone important, someone powerful, someone with authority, someone who has made it in life, right? So this guy is powerful. He's got whatever people want in life. He has it already. He has authority, power, reputation. He's got wealth. He has all the things that so many of us are scurrying after so hard and stressing over. This guy has it, but none of that matters right now. Why? Because his daughter has died, right? Nothing, nothing matters when these things happen. Your money doesn't matter. How much power, what people call you, your reputation, how many followers you have on this or that, what school you went to, how much money you made, what job you have, how many people work under you. None of that matters when someone you love has died. Everyone mourns the same. Death doesn't make exceptions for rich people. Death doesn't make exceptions for the privileged or for different races. This is the great equalizer. Before the reality of death, we are all powerless. And so this ruler, all of his dignity, all of his pride, he's got none of it when he comes before Jesus, desperate and broken and mourning. And in the middle of Jesus saying, it's not a time to mourn. It's a time to celebrate because I am here. This guy, this father comes mourning at the feet of Jesus saying, my daughter has just died. What do you, what does this guy expect Jesus to do? Death cannot be reversed. Death is the, is the most final thing we have in this world. Like there's always hope until someone dies. There's always hope. Maybe they can be healed. There's, there's, there could be a miracle. They might get better. But once there's the flat line, once they have died, there's nothing in this world with all, even now, 2,000 years ago, 
3,000 years ago. Now, it doesn't matter. Once you have died, there is no reversal of that. But then this ruler comes and says something so unbelievable. I don't know if he was just so distraught or maybe he was in denial. He couldn't accept his daughter's death. He says, my daughter has just died. That is the reality. She's, she has died. He had just come running from her funeral. Her funeral is going on right now. And maybe he heard that Jesus was in town. The man who can heal anything. And I don't know, as he's running out to Jesus, maybe his servants and everyone's like, it's too late. Yeah, he's a healer, but she's already dead. She has died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Despite of what reality and common sense tells this man, he has this crazy faith that somehow this homeless, penniless Jewish rabbi can actually do something about his dead daughter. He says, come and lay your hand on her and she will live. The touch of Jesus, he's heard, can heal brokenness. At his touch, demons are cast out. But can it restore life? Come and lay your hand on her. Now, this is an incredible request to ask a rabbi. Because in the Old Testament, to touch a dead body would make you unclean, would make you ceremonially and ritually unclean. You It makes you unclean and now you are unfit to go before God or the temple or anything like that. You're unclean and anything you touch will become unclean. And so to ask a holy man, a rabbi, to go and touch a dead body is an outrageous thing to ask. Because this girl, I mean, it's one thing to ask to touch her because she's sick so she can be healed. But for him to come and touch an unclean dead body, that's crazy. Any rabbi who was right, who was holy, who was concerned about purity would say, absolutely not. Sir, I know you're grieving. I know you're sad, but death is just a part of life. You just have to accept it. You just have to move on. I cannot go and touch your daughter's dead body because it will make me unclean. That's what a rabbi is supposed to say. And they should say that. That's what you should say. But Jesus rose and followed him. A regular rabbi is supposed to say, no, sir, you need to just let this and accept this. I can't do this. And Jesus says, where is she? And he gets up and he goes. He doesn't rebuke him. He follows. He goes and follows even in this irreversible situation. In this whole, it's, I mean, there's no, this is like the most hopeless situation, isn't there? What 
is your unchangeable, irreversible situation in your life. There are things in your life where things seem absolutely hopeless, where something feels like it can never be reversed, it's already done, or it's already passed, it's too late, or this can never change. What is that for you? Something that seems so ridiculous that people would even laugh at you for bringing it before God. And as Jesus rose to follow this man, And behold, a woman had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. So let's take a moment to behold now this woman while Jesus was on his way and a crowd was following, right? There's a crowd around Jesus and they heard this ruler come and beg and they're like, wow, this is really shocking. This poor ruler. He must be so distraught. He's delusional. He thinks that Jesus can actually do something for this dead girl. And then how crazy is it that Jesus gets up and follows him? How is Jesus going to get out of this one and explain, oh, I'm sorry. And and so the crowd is like ready to watch something interesting happen. So they're following. And while they're following, this woman comes and she touches the fringe of his garment because she's been suffering from a discharge of blood. She has some sort of menstrual disorder. And in the Old Testament, another thing that makes you unclean in the Old Testament for women was when you're having your period, you were ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go into the worship area. You needed to wait, right? So you wouldn't, and that that was just a part of the Old Testament law. And so you were unclean, but only for a temporary amount of time. And then you were able to come back and be clean and be in the presence of God and other people. But while the time you were unclean, you were supposed to kind of stay away from everybody for a little bit and you weren't supposed to touch other people or else, you know, uncleanliness kind of spreads. So this woman, she had a disorder where she was constantly in a state of ceremonially uncleanness. She had to avoid people. She couldn't like go anywhere. She couldn't go into the presence of God and worship. And in the, in In the book of Luke, it describes this woman that she spent everything she had trying to look for a situation. She spent all of her money and now she had nothing left because she went to all the doctors, all the people to try to fix this. And no one for 12 years, she spent all that she had could fix her problem. And she had to live 12 years unclean, broken, hopeless, I mean, after 12 years, would you not be hopeless? But for some reason, somewhere inside, she had this crazy hope that though no one else was able to fix this problem, instead of just accepting this is just the way it's going to be for the rest of my life, she saw Jesus and said, but if I go and touch even the fringe of his garment, why would she say, I... I just need to touch the fringe of his garment, just the edge of his cloak, because she knew that she was not worthy to touch Jesus, to even go and ask Jesus, can you touch me and heal me? Because for 12 years, she knew I am unclean. I am unworthy. No one can touch me. So her tiniest hope was if I can just maybe go and without him even knowing, touch the fringe of his garment, then I will be clean. 
I will be made well. She saw herself as too unworthy, too unclean for Jesus to touch or to even approach her. And so she went quietly, covertly, just hoping for something. Right? And I mean, think about this. I mean, I'm sure this was even, she probably didn't even want to ask Jesus in front of all these people because this is like such a, like an intimate and private, like sort of issue. It's embarrassing, right? She doesn't want to expose this issue in front of everybody, this whole crowd. So maybe she didn't, she was too embarrassed to ask him for help. Do you have an issue? Do you guys have any issues in your life? That's so deep. So embarrassing, right? So it feels so unclean. For so long, it's been there with you. And no matter what you've tried, how many different techniques or things you've tried to conquer this issue that you're so ashamed of or that's so personal and so deep that makes you feel so unworthy, that's so private, bring it to Jesus. Bring it to him. There is nothing too unclean, too unworthy, too private, or too hard for Jesus. And then Jesus turns around and he sees her. She's stunned because she's trying to be sneaky. And he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. In the midst of this crowd, all these people pressing in around Jesus, the only one Jesus notices is the one who believes. He turns around and he senses this faith. It's a, it's a tiny faith. It's a scared, she's afraid for her life sort of faith. It's like barely there. She's not bold. She's not out there declaring her faith. It's this tiny, tiny little faith, but it's faith. Because look what she says, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. She believed. And it might not have looked like big faith, but it was. It was enough to get the attention of the God of the universe. In the midst of a big, busy crowd, in the midst of him going to do a big miracle, Jesus turns around and he notices her. Any of you guys feel like your problem or your sin, or your issue is too small for God to notice, too unclean for God to care, that God's too busy with the universe, that why would he care? Why would he listen about your request? He cares. He sees. You just need to have faith. You need to believe, and you need to go before him, and you need to reach out towards him. He will turn He will see and he will say, take heart. Don't be afraid. Why would this woman be afraid? I mean, Jesus has said this to someone in the past. Take heart. He said it to the paralyzed man. Why would he say to her, take heart? What is she afraid of? She's afraid that Jesus would turn around and say, how dare you touch me? 
right? Why do you think she's so afraid? Because she thinks that if I go, me unclean and I touch Jesus and he notices that he's going to turn around and he's going to yell at me and say, how dare you soil me with your unclean hands? And that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid that if we go before God with my sin, my addiction, my issue, we cannot go before God because we will taint him. But he turns around and he says, don't be afraid. Take heart, have courage. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to reprimand you. Have courage. I hear you. I see your faith. Take heart, daughter. You are mine. He says there, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Don't be afraid. You are mine. I don't reject you. You're not unclean to me. You are my daughter. And your faith in me has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. The real power of Jesus to heal, not just some metaphorical spiritual healing, but she was literally, her body was transformed and made well again. Do you believe in the real power of Jesus? Not just the spiritual power. So many times we just take Jesus and we just put him in the category of spirituality, but not realizing that Jesus has the real power to transform the issues and the things in our lives if we were only to believe. It's faith. It's faith that makes the difference. Jesus has the power to heal, but will anyone reach out to touch him, believing in what he can do? This morning I was thinking about this and like this image of what faith is, because I realize faith in and of itself is nothing, but it's what you have faith in that's everything. Faith is like, faith itself is not power, but faith is the conduit for power. You guys know what a conduit is? It's like a pipe, a pipe that carries something from one place to another, that connects one thing from another thing. Right? It's like Jesus is standing in the crowd and he's full of life, full of power, full of holiness, full of, 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 of the power to heal. And everyone around him, though they're physically near him and bumping into him, none of that power is going into their lives because none of them are believing. They don't have faith. They are not connecting to that power with faith. But this one woman comes with faith and she connects to that power, reaches out in faith. And the moment she touches him with faith, that the power of God rushes into her life. Imagine like a pipe and then you just, you know, that pipe is attached to a a giant vat of water and now that water is flowing into you. That's what faith is. Faith is like the pipe in which you go to like plug into whatever it is that you need. We all have faith. You all have a conduit for which you are trying to get what you need in life. But where is your faith? What are you putting your faith in or what are you attaching your faith to? Some of us, our faith is in the things of this world, right? 
If I just make it here, if I just make this much money, or if I just get to this next place, or if I just get this job, then I will be made whole. This depression will be made better if I can just, if I have faith in this thing, if this thing happens in my life, if I just buy this thing, then I'll finally be happy, right? Where is your faith? Is it in the right place? Jesus goes to the ruler's house and he sees the fruit, the flute players and the crowd making a commotion because back in those days, that's how you did funerals. You would hire professional mourners. People would come and play music and just mourn and wail. And the richer you are, the more people you hired. So this was a ruler. So obviously he hired tons of people for his daughter's funeral and they were wailing and they were weeping. And Jesus shows up and he sees this funeral that's going on. And he says, get out. He says, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. This is not time, a time for mourning because she's not dead. That's because for Jesus, death isn't permanent. For Jesus, no situation is irreversible. For Jesus, there is nothing that's too hard. For him, there is nothing final, nothing impossible when it is Jesus. When it's anything else, yes, you're just going to have to accept it. But when it comes to Jesus, there's always hope. Amen. And they laughed at him, right? I mean, you could tell these are just professional mourners. They're just here doing their job. They're crying and they're weeping. And Jesus comes and says this unbelievable. And then they start laughing because they're not really sad. They're just actors, they laugh at Jesus because what he is saying is so ridiculous. The truth of God is so crazy that the world, when they hear the truth of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, they laugh because it is so unbelievable. You cannot help but laugh at it. But that's what God does. He does the impossible to the point where people laugh. In the Old Testament, there was a woman, Sarah, 90 years old, who couldn't have children for most of her life. And then God shows up and says, you're going to have a child next year. And then she goes in the back and she starts laughing. Why? Because it's so ridiculous. She's like, I'm so old. I can't. She's accepted. I cannot have children. And Jesus and God says, you're going to have a baby next year. And she laughs. The things that God, sometimes the plans that God has for our lives is so unbelievable that we can't help but laugh. If we knew the plans that God had for each of your lives, and if you knew what God was going to do with you, if you followed him, you might laugh if you heard it today. If you only knew what God had in store for you, you'd be like me doing that. It's no way. I think about my college, me hearing about the way I am now and my college version would probably laugh like, no way. There's no way I would be like that. Matthew, a greedy tax collector, becoming a saint. Paul, an enemy of the church, becoming one of the greatest missionaries in history. I mean, you would tell these people what God's about to do with you. They would probably laugh. And Jesus comes in. He's like, let me tell you what I'm about to do. And they laugh because it's so unbelievable. So the crowd, 
was put outside. They don't get to see the miracle because there's no faith there. If you don't believe, then you will not see what God is going to do. You only experience the power of God when you believe. So many of us are waiting. I'm waiting for the power of God to happen. Then I'll believe. No, faith comes first. Faith is faith because you have faith in what we do not see. You need to believe. So many of us have not experienced the power of God because we do not believe that God can work in your life. So many of us are still bound in sin and addictions because you don't believe that God can free you and has freed you in Jesus' name. You need to believe. And when we believe, then Jesus says, as you believe, according to your faith, it will be done. Do you believe that God can heal the things in your life? That God can change you? You need to believe or else you will be put outside just like the crowd and they will never see the power of God. And then he goes in and he takes this girl by the hand and she arose. He doesn't care that a dead body is unclean because to Jesus, nothing is unclean that he touches. He doesn't care that this unclean woman comes and touches him. He, to him, nothing is unclean. None of us are unclean. Jesus will not recoil from us or from the things that we have done. But if we ask in faith, he will come and place his hand upon even the most dead or vile things in our lives. And he will bring life back into the dead places. Amen. This isn't metaphorical. This is real. This is real. At the touch of the power of God, the dead come back to life. My grandmother on my mom's side, who just passed away a few months ago. I mean, I, I know I've told this story before, but it's because it's real. When, there, when she was younger and just accepted Christ, the power of God was in her to heal all the people in her village. And there was a time where the baby next door, there was a family who had t- countless miscarriages, finally had a baby who turned one, and they thought this baby was going to live. And then one morning they woke up to the family crying and wailing and mourning because this baby that they finally thought was going to make it had died the night at night. And my grandmother, who was the first Christian in her village, walked over to this family who were not Christians, who believed in shaman demons and worshipped them as their God. They believed that they were cursed. My, My grandmother went to them and said, give me the child. And they're like, no, he's dead. It's too late. We're going to bury him in the morning. And she says, well, then let me just just give him to me and I'll give him back to you in the morning. And then she took this dead child and prayed all night long. And in the morning, this child was alive and she gave this child back alive in the morning and that family came to know the Lord that day and that man is still alive he has a family and they live in Korea my mom knows him she grew up with this kid who was dead and because of the power of of God he raised him back to life this is not metaphorical or figure of speech If God who raises the dead, if that same power is in us who believe in Jesus, what situation is too hard for him? How can we live with in hopelessness with about anything when God is the one who can reverse all things? Do not lose hope. 
Nothing is too unclean. Nothing is too far gone. Even death is itself is subject to the authority of Jesus. Nothing is too far for him to restore. Are there things in your life that are, that feel so broken that it can never be restored? Ask Jesus to come and touch you. Let's have faith to tap into that power. But here's the thing, as amazing as what happened here is, right? And so many of us were like, we, w- we want to experience a miracle like that. Like, oh man, if, if, if I saw some miraculous healing in my life or if I saw someone dead get raised, then I would have so much faith right now, right? But faith needs to come first, you realize. And here's the thing. God bringing the physical dead back to physical life is not that hard for him. He's simply resuscitating a dead body who this girl who he raised is going to die again. The man who was raised by my grandmother's prayers through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to die one day. Lazarus, who was raised by Jesus from the tomb physically, is going, he died. He didn't stay alive forever. It was just physical resuscitation. This woman who was cured of her bleeding for 12 years, she's going to die. Every healing, even the most miraculous healing from cancer, they will still die again one day. There is a miracle that is even greater than the physical resuscitation of a body or the healing of somebody, and that is eternal life. Life where we are raised into eternity where we will never die. That Jesus died on the cross and he rose again and he will never die. And that is the same life that you and I and every single one of us will experience in Jesus. The greatest miracle and even greater than physical rising of the dead is the resurrection that you and I are all given through Christ Jesus. Amen. And that is who he is. And that is what he is here to give us. So let us live our lives today with faith and hope in this God. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Han Vision Podcast. We hope you are blessed. Join us next week on Han Vision.